You're listening to Raw with Marty Gallagher, J.P. Bryce, and Jim Steele, brought to you by Iron Company. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review on your favorite podcast player. We appreciate it. Today's guest is Dr. Charlie Seltzer, MD, CSCS, and diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. He's the only physician in the country who holds both a board certification on obesity medicine and a CSCS certification by the National Strength and Conditioning Association. He's also a former natural bodybuilding competitor and regional champion. Dr. Seltzer takes a 360 degree approach to helping clients gain control of their health, which includes a complete metabolic workup, medication and supplementation review, recommendation and prescription, nutrition, counseling, physician-supervised exercise programs, and personal training. Welcome, Dr. Seltzer. Thank you so much for having me. Please call me Charlie. I'll call you Charlie. I appreciate that. Uh, Well, before we get into, we're going to get into aging and a bunch of interesting stuff that you wanted to talk about. But uh, I know Marty had uh, a couple of things to to talk about. You guys spoke the other day. I think he said for an hour on the phone. So he's well, got to know you just a little bit. So take it away, I don't know if it was Gallagher. an hour, JP. I don't know if it was an hour. What uh, that cost you? What that cost you, Marty? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I get. Uh, it seems like more and more when I head out of my hermetic bubble, uh, people want to know. I don't know, use an old cliche. How do they hold back the hands of time? How do they uh, put the brakes on aging? Uh, and it's it's a subject that in in our world, and I mean our world, the progressive resistance, fitness, bodybuilding world, we've always had outstanding examples of folks that have uh, held on to high degrees of function and fitness late into life. I think in the past, it's been easily sort of dismissed offhand with, well, you know, that's genetics. In fact, I had a guy the other day accuse me of having Keith Richards genetics. That guy that's might be genetics. right. Yeah. <laughs> he never squatted. Yeah, which I love. Well, I thanked him for that. But you're uh, an example of this, Marty. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, that's why they, they come up and they ask me, what are you doing? What's going on? And it's like, well, you know, jump in a time machine and go back 50 years and, you know, maybe you can do it too. Uh, so we wanted to get a real medical professional on because I think that he can come, we come at it from the empirical angle, Charlie, and you have a foot in that world, but you also have a foot in the, the, the pure medical world. So, and I know that, um, as a bodybuilder, um, you you understand our universe, and that that's why having you on really really appealed to me. So with that, uh, why don't we open the floor for some discussion, right? Well, real quick, where are you based out of, Charlie? I'm in Philadelphia. Oh, shoot! Middle man. Center City. Where? Yeah. Middle Center City. Oh, okay. Well, you're about 1429 Walnut Street. It's right on Broad and uh, Walnut. Right yeah, you're an hour, about an hour from me. Nice. Charlie, can you just give us some basic background? I mean, you know, how did you get into bodybuilding? How did you get into the medical field? I mean, what was what was going on? What pushed you in that direction? Well, I wanted to be an anesthesiologist until I actually did an anesthesia rotation in medical school and thought it was the most boring thing out there. Um, I struggled with weight most of my life. 
um, and finally got control over it in medical school. I wanted to do- um, Charlie, how old are you? Say that again? How old are you? I'm 45. Okay, just, just a friend. Um, I wanted to do something that was gonna help people. So after medical school, I was a personal trainer for two years. Um, but then there's a, a ceiling on what can be accomplished with just a training, um, you know, not to uh, you know, underplay the value of a personal trainer is huge, but couldn't order blood work, couldn't prescribe medications, couldn't do a lot of the things that I know I would be able to do with the residency. Um, I did an internal medicine residency with the idea of helping people just optimize body composition. And that's where I am now. Okay. And, and what you said about, uh, you know, the ceiling only goes so high on um, personal trainers. This is exactly what I'm telling my daughter. She's a personal trainer. She's certified and all that. So I said, you know, nothing against that Cer certification is great, but you got to go beyond that. You got to stand out exactly what you're, you're talking about. Um, what um, now you actually did a, a, bodybuilding show you competed once or a few different I times I competed a bunch of times um the last time okay. I competed in 2014 I finished fifth out of eight despite my best conditioning um sure. the show that I won was in 2011 it was the southeastern seaboard regional um states competition for OCB and I won the okay. opening which uh, was the most recent show 2015 14 it was 2014 was the, the last what, one what, where'd you step on stage on Weight-wise, uh, 150. Yeah. Okay. What do you normally walk around at? I try to be around 170, but it doesn't always happen like that. Like right now, I'm around 200. The quarantine was not kind to me. Uh, McDonald's. <laughs> oh, man. McDonald's. <laughs> man. Well, you're like one of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, with the whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what do I like? Uh, Jim, I was going to say what I like about uh, what I, I like about Charlie is, you know, he's done it. He's been in this world. He's experienced bodybuilding and weightlifting and the, the pain and the suffering and struggle and dieting and all that. He gets it. He's been through it. So now yeah. he's helping other people achieve weight loss and, and different things and take control of their health. So, well, this isn't so much. We've talked about that as far as a patient or a player, you know, an athlete and a coach who's never played or never done anything. And he's telling you to do something. Right. So it's right. always good. It's just like we're rich sulky. You, you know, we know, Oh, he gets it. Cause he's been under the squat bar and felt his lungs, lungs burning and he's suffered with diet or trying to get big or whatever. That's so right. yeah, it makes a huge difference. So Charlie, I think the real overarching theme is that we try to help people engineer physical retransformations, right? You know, or, or transformations. What what strategies, what are the, what are sort of the structural, the big checkpoints that here comes in and here comes in an average guy, you know, who's, uh, I don't know, business exec, 50 years old, 30 pounds overweight, uh, not bad, not good, just kind of normal. <clears throat> but realizes that, you know, it's time to, to get serious. So when you have these kind of blank canvases, what's your, why don't you walk us through how you would uh, work with something? Sure. So before we do anything, as far as programming, any sort of plan, we collect data first, just to see where the patient is. Cause if you don't know where you are, you're not going to know where you end up going. Um, so we do a full metabolic workup. We look at testosterone, thyroid, vitamin, mineral levels could be impacting energy or ability to recover from exercise. 
Um, and then we ask people to track out all their food for a two week period. And we can look at their average daily caloric intake against their weight to know what their number needs to be. Um, Charlie, to Charlie when you say track their, Charlie, when you say track their food, are, we, are you having them weigh their food? Write it down. Oh, right? In the beginning, we focus more on completeness rather than um, accuracy. So we have people go on my fitness pal and just give us a basic idea of how they're eating. You know, I'm not telling people to weigh chicken breasts in the beginning. They can just make estimates because a lot of times you see patterns in behavior that are much easier, you know, more easily corrected than having somebody weigh their chicken breast. Because most of the time, people aren't getting into trouble because they're estimating a chicken breast at six ounces versus eight ounces. They're right. getting into trouble when they have a six pack of beer and eat a pizza before they go to sleep. So in this That's data collection phase, we see a lot of- something anger. already, Steel. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm off a of pizza now. So yeah. well, I'm just- I'm just having hoagies, hoagies. Thank and, you, Charlie. <laughs> hoagies in a six pack. I'm dropping beer immediately. Go ahead. Yeah, right. Go ahead. And then we, when we get that data back, then our goal generally is to try to make a plan that fits as well in someone's lifestyle as possible. In other words, we uh, ask people to change as little as humanly possible to get them where they need to be. And I think that's not how most people approach weight loss. Like when I look at how other people approach weight loss, it seems like they're purposely making it more challenging. In every other area in life, we're always looking for the path of least resistance. But when it comes to weight loss or nutrition, it seems like people are trying to make it hard for themselves when they don't have to. Yeah. It's hard enough living in America with the chronic. Well, okay, put a, put, a, put a finer point on that. <clears throat> Say again, Martin? Put a finer point on that. Drill down a little bit on that. The changes, you know, the. Well, this, idea, this idea of, 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 of you, you have the data. Now uh, you're, so are you saying that you, uh, we have a phrase that we use, we coax results from our people. We don't beat results out of them. Well, it sounds like that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, we, we always say that our job is not to cause change, but to elicit change within. Um, yeah. Yeah, within yeah. Yeah. Not changing any more than is necessary. So a lot of times, just a small little tweak is going to be enough. It's akin to knocking an asteroid off course when it's out of the solar system versus trying to blow it up as it's about to enter the atmosphere. So give an example of, of a, something that, they, that you recommend that's not a huge lifestyle change or starving. So uh, you know. guy's been going to Dunkin' Donuts. He's been getting a sausage, egg, and cheese bagel and a coffee with heavy cream for the last 30 years. It's right. unrealistic to tell that guy to meal prep a frittata every morning. So still going to go to Dunkin' Donuts, but instead let's have him get a bacon, egg and cheese, English muffin. And instead of using all heavy cream in his coffee, use half heavy cream and half whole milk. He won't see any difference. The pattern still This is, this is the, uh, what, what was the, Jimmy, what was Kaizen. the name of the, the uh, eat, eat This, Not That? Remember uh, the guy had the series of books? They were a big hit. Eat This, Not That. And it was about yeah. and switching out. You're, look, you're, we're going to eat fast food, but if you go to uh, Taco Bell, eat this, not that. Or if it's important to you, make it work within the rest of your day. So we'll tell people, is you know, I'm looking at your breakfast. Is that really important to you? Or is it okay to maybe save some calories so that you can have it at the end of the day when you really want it? Mm. If you want a quarter pounder with cheese and a large fries, as long as you can anticipate your behavior and plan for it, you can still be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie, this is the same way we approach resistance training. You know, mm -hmm. so you work five days a week, you're a long haul truck driver, whatever. Can you give us one day a week to train 
that's if if that's all you got, we work with that and we'll get you results with that. Right. Right. Conforming and, to their to, to their lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it's important to know, like the government might recommend 60 minutes of moderate intensity activity, six or seven days a week. But for most people, that's not practical. And a lot of people will just give up before they even start because they think they can't do that. When the data is pretty clear that any resistance training regularly is going to be better than none. Right. And, and yeah, and resistance training can be what we call uh, below zero. We have strategies that enable trainees uh, to lighten to lighten their body weight, lighten their payload. So if we do that, all of a sudden they're able to do those full squats that they haven't done in three years. Um, you know, to, what, what are your what are your big check squares? Do you have a resistance training? Do you have a cardio? Do you have uh, uh, nutrition or healthy eating. Um, how does that go? Yeah. So from the nutrition your categories, your categories. Yeah. So nutrition wise, it's strictly if it fits in your macros approach. Um, generally we just use calories and protein because it's unnecessary for most people to count full macros unless someone's competing, obviously, or a professional athlete that we're working with. Um, that part is relatively simple. As far as the exercise goes, um, we try to incorporate resistance training with everyone. We try to get everybody just learning. And we have a personal trainer in our office. We have a fully equipped gym with three power racks, 500 pounds of bumper plates per station and dumbbells up to hundred pounds. So pretty much everything that anybody needs. Um, to get some people just, the goal is to get everybody being able to efficiently and properly perform squats, bench presses, deadlift, shoulder presses, and rows. Um, and then just as you guys know, good, all the good selection, good selection. Thank you. I appreciate that, it. Man. Um, and someone might need to go from a TRX squat to a body weight mm -hmm. squat, to a goblet mm -hmm. squat, to a front squat, to a back squat, but we'll right. get them there eventually. Oh my God. That is exactly what we do. We have five variations for each of the core four lifts. They're, they're sequential. They go from what we call below zero. Again, being able to make people lighter than they are if needed. And we have, you know, we have five variations of the squat. We start with the kettlebell squat. We, uh, we actually squat with a no weight squat, progress to the goblet, then to the front squat, then to the high bar back squat, then and only then to the low bar. You have to go sequentially. You have to graduate. Exactly. Each phase before, you know, you know, jumping in low bar back squat is an invitation for disaster. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a progression. It's like everything. Um, you know, and, and it really, it's a much safer way of doing things rather than, you know, throwing somebody who's never worked out in a CrossFit gym and telling them to do 30 hand cleans with 135 pounds. Boot camp. Yeah, no, we don't, that's not how we roll. Um, no. <laughs> very, you know, simple progressions. We'll use rep and reserve models. We'll use yeah. just like basic sets of 10. We'll use, um, you know, I'm a fan of full body training, um, even if it's five days per week, just taking the full weekly volume and distributing evenly over days. Um, you know, we know that the most important thing, as you guys know, is intensity and then volume. Um, but I think that more frequent training tends to be better for most of our patients. And also, if something gets in the way and they miss a workout, it's not like they're missing chest day. You know, they're still yeah, kind I, of I, body parts. Maybe they'll hit them twice that week instead of three times. Um, uh, much if, more flexible way of approaching things. We, we, we had the same, uh, with, with the severely unfit, uh, more practice is better. Even though we have a limited menu, you know, we'd have them working two, three times a week doing, the, the, you know, the, 
the same limited menu of exercises. And it, that gives them practice at it and it also makes them comfortable. Charlie, what we try to do is we try to take everybody up to hypertrophy, but safely, right? I mean, we, you have to stress you have to stress the organism in order to trigger the adaptive response, right? And, right. but you can do that safely. But, and what our strategy is we make light weights heavy. We use extreme ranges of motion. We'll mm -hmm. inject pauses and, you know, all these things. Everyone else tries to make their strength training lifts lighter. We're trying to make them heavier. Right. Make right, a greater make, precision, highly precise techniques. I mean, you can, you know, the, your tendons and your ligaments know how much weight is being lifted, but your muscles don't necessarily know how much you're making it seem harder by doing some of the stuff that you're talking about. So, you know, preserving joints, you know, in, in the face of hypertrophy is helpful because it helps with longevity and lifting. What's interesting is that it's so, it's such a good idea to have the weight training in there because if they're beginners and they're losing weight and all that, they can still get stronger, you know, week to week because mm -hmm. it's just this neuromuscular thing happening where your body's communicating better, you know, and how deep, and how deep a hole they're standing in. Yeah. So and, easy you know, to cause get, we always so say easy to get results for the unfit. Right. I always say, man, beginners, you can lift cement blocks. You can lift, uh, you know, milk cartons, whatever. You're going to make some gains. Mm -hmm. But so while they're, dieting and, and they're thinking they're you know there's a there's got to be some deprivation like for instance you're changing something you know just maybe not depriving but just changing it but with the weight training it's so positive it's so positive when you get going so they got this thing with the diet which is a little bit of a pain in the ass when you're first but you got the weight training where now you're going to make gains and now you can see the progress right away with and it's fun you know? and the beauty of it everybody gets stronger. If you put somebody in a progressive weight training routine, whether they're 30 or 50 or 80, they will get stronger. And it's really That's cool to watch. Right. Yeah. Now our, extend our, our core cardio, Charlie is walking. So is ours. We, walk, we walk with purpose, you know, and we, uh, it's mm -hmm. a full body movement. It's not carry hands. You know, we, we walk um, hard and, you know, these out of shape, overweight people can easily generate an 80, 80, 85% of age related heart rate maximum just by walking. Why, why would you have them jog? Why would you have them run? You know what I mean? Yeah. And we why also make them get into boot camp. You know, people will compensate for calories spent doing high intensity cardio by eating more throughout the rest of the day, moving less. And it's pretty well described in the literature. Oh, that's so, great. That's great. Eating more, moving less as a result of your boot camp. Right, exactly. So I, we encourage people walk as much as you possibly can and hit the weights hard. And if there's walk you know, faster, right? Walk faster, uh, cover the same distance in a shorter amount of time, right? Exactly. JP, what are you Jesus doing? Tell me what you're doing, JP. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing. Yeah. Ever since Charlie, I got COVID, uh, you know, months ago and I lost a bunch of weight and I thought, you know what, this is a, a good springboard for me. So I was never really into cardio. I kind of always hated cardio, but I started walking around my neighborhood. There's a two and a half mile, uh, track basically you know if you go around the whole thing it's two and a half miles so you know i started i was doing like 17 18 minute miles you know just getting into it and um 
you know, now I'm down to like a 15 minute mile flat just, and I have my iWatch on and, you know, I track the time, I track the distance. And I was telling Jim the other day, I, I think I'm maxed out on, on my speed for walking. If I go any faster, I'm going to have to jog. Um, because about 15 minutes for a mile walking, that's about the may, quickest I can may do. I make, may, may I make a suggestion? Wear a parachute? No, nah, well, that's, <laughs> behind that's me. you ran. <laughs> Put in a backpack with a 25 in it. Yeah. Yeah. You better start off with a 10. What are you laughing at, Jim? He better start off with a 10. He needs to start with a 10. Just that. And, and like Marty says, walk with purpose. Yeah, I'm swinging, yes. swinging my arms. I'm into it. And I could just metabolically, I could just really feel it when I come back. I'm, I'm hungry. My heart is racing. I'm, you know, sweating my butt off and um, I, I'm getting leaner and leaner and leaner. And now I'm just old, addicted to it. How old it. are you? 50. Yeah. And I see the results, but it's, we always talk about the results. You start getting results. You start getting fired up about it um and and just really into it motivated and, and that's what i'm seeing with cardio which i've never really been a cardio guy but i'm digging it so yeah anyway See, that, I that your, that be, be, because you never worked it when you suddenly did work it boom it took you and your physique and your performance to the next level yeah you know i was just thinking the other day since i've been doing all this walking and i'm, I'm still lifting three times a week I feel better now and look better than probably 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what are, what your are internals are working better? Your guts, your innards are more efficient because of this That's right. cardiovascular well, I, effort. I, I was going to ask Charlie this. So don't you think, or what do you think uh, are the benefits of cardio besides, I mean, he's not burning that many calories. So, so what that he can make it up in a, in a meal or a couple of gummy bears or something, but What's the benefits to your body of cardio besides some cal caloric uh, burning? There's a, a definite positive impact on your cardiovascular system. Right. Um, and also by building up your wind, you know, you're not going to be limited in a high rep set of squats by your lungs. Right. You know, your muscles will fail before your lungs. Um, right. There's... It seems to just make everything more efficient and work better. Right. It does. You know, lowers your resting heart rate. It lowers your blood pressure, decreases triglycerides. There's a lot of metabolic things that go on um, that, are, that are healthy from doing cardio. But too much of it is a bad thing. Way too much of anything is probably a bad thing. Yeah. Bodybuilders yeah. call it uh, building the metabolism, this idea that first you clean up, you get in touch with hunger. Once you're in that hunger state, you add in the cardio, you add in the lifting. Now you start your eating is nothing but clean calories and you start small, you build, you know, twigs and branches, and then you keep adding more and more nutrients and, and simultaneously your training is increasing, your, your lifting, your poundages are going up, your cardio, you're going faster, longer, you're eating more. And if you ever go out to eat with the elite bodybuilder prior to a competition, I went out with Sonny Schmidt one time. The guy breaks into a sweat every time he eats a, a meal. He literally, his, his body, just like he, like, he feels faint before he eats. And then he eats about, he ate all his food and everybody else's food too, right? And, and the guy's like breaking into a sweat 
30 minutes into eating. I mean, he's like mopping his brow. Woo, open some windows. Yeah, I used to do that too. You turn into an inferno. You know, Interesting, huh? Yeah. But you have to be, that doesn't happen to the pizza and beer people. <laughs> hey, Charlie, can you explain Sorry, in layman's terms um, about metabolism? Because I think there's some myths and mis- misconceptions going on out there. If you ask an average person what metabolism even means, they won't be able to define it. Right. Right. So we're just, it's the, the, the energy exchanges in the body are basically every form of like um, function in the body requires energy and that's metabolism. Um, the myths out there that are pervasive that need to you know, go away yesterday would be that breakfast increases your metabolism. We know it doesn't. Um, we know that eating small, multiple meals throughout the day doesn't increase your metabolism any more than eating two large meals per day. Right. Um, you know, eating after seven o'clock is not forbidden. You know, these things that surface and people who should know better are still um, perpetuating these myths about metabolism. Um, and I think that what people really need to know is if their goal is weight loss, they need to be in a calorie deficit. And however they need to do that to do it consistently is what they need to do. If that means eating breakfast, then they should eat breakfast. If it means not eating breakfast because they're hungrier for lunch, um, when they do eat breakfast, then maybe not eating breakfast is the right thing to do. So you know, everybody's different, but there are certain commonalities in the sense of if you want to gain weight, you need to be in a calorie surplus. If you want to lose weight, you need to be in a deficit. Right. Charlie, how do you, how do you, how do you monitor fat loss in your clientele? We use the scale plus tight pants. So the, like I, measurements are a great way of doing things. I just find there's a lot of user error. It's like patients even subconsciously will push their stomachs out and the trainer will take the, uh, the measurement much looser than the after measurement where the patient's sucking their stomach in and they're pulling that tape really, really tight. So if you get a pair of pants that doesn't stretch and you try them on in the beginning of the month and they're really tight and then you lose two or three pounds on the scale, the pants are a little bit looser and your weights have gone up in the gym, you know that all that loss is body fat. And it avoids having to do like underwater weighing or bod pods or any of that stuff. You know, I think that if your weights are going up in the gym and your clothes are fitting better, it's a really good indicator that you're making progress, that you're moving in the right direction. So are you paying attention? Do you give them scale weight goals or you just say, hey, just be the same? What's what's going on with that? We try to adjust people's calories so that they're losing between a half. No, I understand that. We're adjusting their calories. But what are we doing? Are we saying, hey, you need to lose 30 pounds? Or are we saying, no, you look great. Just change your fat to muscle composition. Yeah, I mean, it it depends on, on the person. So um, you know, most people are after body composition optimization, you know, building muscle while they're losing body fat, which is really hard, uh, but can be right. done. Um, right. We try to, you know, that if takes, the rate of fat loss- That takes a lot of exactitude. That takes a lot of exactitude. That, that you get, now you're weighing your food and yeah. Right. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's not necessary. For some people, it is. I mean, a 20-year-old kid who's burning 5,000 calories per day at rest is not going to need to weigh their food nearly as much as a postmenopausal woman who weighs 150 pounds and is 5'2". Yeah. So I'm still not clear on, on in other words, if, if I come to you and I'm a 215 guy and we talk and we, you set me up into the program, I'm doing the program, what is my goal? What so, is my... What is my body goal? I weigh 215. Uh, so what are we looking to I do? would, you know, 
in a in a very subjective sense, it's like we we want someone to weigh what they happen to weigh when they feel good in their clothes and their labs look good and they're happy. Okay. And if that, you know, if somebody might get to, you know, someone might originally set a goal at 190 pounds, they might get to 200 and look good and feel good and decide to stop there. They might get okay, to but 190. That, but, that, but that is a body weight goal. Do you do that? Do you do these um, body weight goals? Usually we set goals in monthly increments and then we'll say, okay, do we have more than a month of fat loss? Do we think before you hit where you need to be? And if that's the case, then we just, we just execute the plan for a month. Once someone approaches their ideal weight or body fat composition or body, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, then we make more of a maintenance style plan, but we don't usually know what someone's going to end up at. Like they have ideas, like women will often have a dress size in mind, but we don't know what they're going to end up weighing because they'll end up putting on muscle during the process. So it might be different. So you go by the blood test, the labs. Yeah. And how people feel. Yeah. Let me ask Uh, you this. When you guys do a metabolic workup, um, what are some of the common things you see that can be off, that'll be working against whatever they're about to do with a diet or exercise plan? And and how do you fix those things? So we see a lot of nutrition deficiencies, Um, you know, things that can impact energy. So B12, iron, ferritin is the storage form of iron. And we know that especially in women, low ferritin can interfere with the recovery from exercise. And women who have regular periods don't eat a ton of red meat are often iron deficient, even if they're not anemic. Um, and replacing that can really increase the quality of their workouts by enhancing recovery and improving power output. Um, if we see insulin resistance, um, which can be either from an elevated insulin level, elevated hemoglobin A1C, which gives you the average three months of your blood sugar, high triglycerides and low good cholesterol, um, they often do better with a lower carbohydrate plan. Um, it makes them feel better, which makes them more likely to be consistent, although it certainly doesn't change the laws of thermodynamics, which dictate they still need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Right. Now, those are some of the common ones. Now, what if you find, uh, you know, because you're looking at hormones too, you're looking at testosterone. Are you also looking at estrogen levels for men and women? So this has been a little shift in my practice. I've stopped paying as close attention to estrogen levels. Um, You know, before I was treating it to an arbitrary number, 30 or 40. Um, But if someone's not symptomatic of high estrogen, we know that it's cardioprotective, it has mood enhancing properties and increases bone density. I don't see a reason to treat estrogen in women, in men, um, Mm -hmm. unless they're symptomatic. Now in women, we can like, there's this whole thing about like hormonal balance, like having the right amount of estrogen for progesterone. And a lot of traditional doctors won't agree with that, but you can look at somebody and correlate their labs with where they are in their menstrual cycle. And there's an argument sometimes if they're making too much or too much estrogen and not enough progesterone to supplement a little progesterone in a woman. We know that low testosterone in women can be problematic. It can cause hair loss. It can make it difficult to build muscle and burn body fat, but too much testosterone can make a woman insulin resistant. So there's a fine line sometimes that you have to do um, when you're replacing the hormones to make sure that you're not doing them more harm than good. And when a man is, is, is uh, testosterone deficient, uh, it can lead to uh, weight gain. Uh, I would imagine the same is true of women that are low in estrogen. Can that do the same thing? So hormones are funny. It can cause, usually it can cause weight gain. Sometimes we see weight gain with too much estrogen. Um, it's really, I think my experience in this has been that hormones need to be in a sweet spot in order to mm. not have a negative impact on weight loss. Okay. Let me, um, 
let me ask you, Charlie, are, are you a, uh, an advocate of testosterone replacement for older men? Uh, for yes, a lot of the time, I mean, of course it's individualized to the patient, but we do a lot of hormone replacement therapy here. Um, certainly if they're below the reference range, it's essentially a no brainer. The issue comes in when someone's coming in low normal. With aren't, all, aren't all elderly men deficient? So, you know, it really depends on what you look at. So there's a lot of good data that says that although testosterone levels decline with age, it's not really physiologically relevant unless there's something else going on. So we know like sleep apnea, diabetes, heart disease, all lower testosterone levels. So a lot of times with older guys, we see these comorbid conditions, which are probably influencing the testosterone more significantly than just the aging process. And to that point, we treat a lot of guys in their mid seventies, upper seventies, who are otherwise healthy, who run serum levels in the six and seven hundreds. Um, you know, maybe that came down from 900, but we don't really, I don't see a lot of, well, that's not true. I don't see a ton of low testosterone in guys without other comorbid conditions, but we do see it as people get older. And I think the replacement often um, is warranted, but again, it ultimately comes down to the risks and the benefits. And there are a lot of benefits. We know what the risks are. We know what to look out for, which makes it a reasonable option in a lot of people. At what level just, does some, somebody have to get I down to for one, you to treat? One more quick, can I ask one more yeah, quick yeah, follow-up? Yeah. Um, is there a, um, if, if, if someone is on testosterone therapy for an extended period of time and then for whatever reason stops, is there some sort of an estrogenic counter attack? Does your estrogen go up when you stop? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that, Marty. Um, I have not seen it, um, but again, I'm not following estrogen unless people are symptomatic. So mood swings, um, hot Another of those old muscle myths, you know? Mar Marty, I don't think yeah. so, because from my understanding, as you supplement testosterone, the body's way to kind of compensate that as a, I don't know if it's a protective mechanism or whatever, it also raises your estrogen level. So I would think if you went off, so would your estrogen but, level would come down. Yeah, doesn't your own, doesn't levels your go own down. Doesn't your own natural testosterone production factory shut down when you artificially put it in your body? And then when you take away the artificial testosterone, your production factory doesn't, yeah, or, well, it has a hard time gearing back up. It depends on the amount. You, you got to Charlie. You, yeah, yeah. So it's, the, it's, it's really, it's the amount and the duration. Like generally someone with hundred milligrams of sipinate every week, um, even though it will temporarily suppress their FSH and their LH, when we go, when they go off it, those, that axis comes back. You know, if someone's right. doing 500 milligrams of sipinate every week with a you know, stack of other stuff, we, we might not see it come back that quickly. It might even necessitate, you know, something else to help jumpstart that axis again, something like, um, you know, it, but regardless, it jumpstarts in a relatively short time. Frame. That's been my experience in doing this. Yeah. Good. But That's again, good. it's dose dependent. Good. I'd like to know for the guys that are like long-term, like they're on it for five or 10 years, will it actually come back? And, and if, if so, how long does it take? Now you can counter that, can't you, by taking HCG, especially if you're in the age where the age range where you're going to be having kids and you need to stay fertile and all, and all that stuff, 
you can keep that testosterone level production going in your own body. So essentially when you would go off of that testosterone, I don't know why you would, but uh, your, your own levels would still be at peak, I guess. Right. And that's the thing, because guys who have been on hormone replacement therapy for five or 10 years, you know, they're probably going to stay on it unless there's a medical reason why they can't. And I have not, you know, knock on wood, I have not experienced that yet. Yeah. Well, if they move to Alaska, you know, and can't get it anymore (laughs) or it's frozen. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It happens. Right. Or they run out of money. (laughs) So that's probably the more likely thing. Right. So, all right, well, this is all good. Um, what what are you seeing in, in the year 2022 how long have you been you've been in practice for a while now right it's been about 10 years now i'm getting old okay well um what's the your general take in the aging population are we maintaining from what you're seeing are we going backwards are we devolving um just in your experience as to your 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 patients and your clients and the people that you work with are they everybody talks about oh we're falling apart in the year 2022 and i'd just like to hear from you know a medical pro or you see that well i mean i've seen there's been train wrecks coming in for the you know for 10 years um <laughs> you know same same level i've not experienced any any shift like i don't certainly don't think that it's worse but also i don't know if my you know, even with all the people that I see, if that's a large enough sample size to know. We also, you know, the the people in 2022 are still going to respond to the same interventions that worked in 2012, right? Lifting weights in in a calorie deficit if you need to lose body fat. Um, So I I think the the thing though is we have 10 more years of knowledge, 10 more years of potentially research on good supplements that can help slow down the aging process. Let me ask you then, have we, let me ask you, Charlie, have we, have you learned anything in 10 years? Anything profound? Um, really that being overweight is going to kill you prematurely. Like if you're carrying extra body fat, you're probably going to die before you would need to in one way or another. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the 10 extra, years, extra, extra body fat, how much, what's the kind of the break? Even 10, 15 pounds, extra body fat probably yeah. puts you at higher risk for things. We know like people's blood pressure will, when they lose five pounds, their blood pressure could drop by 10 points. You know, conversely, if someone's overweight, their blood pressure is going to be higher. Their heart's going to have to work harder. Their cholesterol is not going to be as good. They're going to have less insulin sensitivity or more insulin resistance. They're going to have higher levels of inflammation. All like those anti-aging catchphrases are, are really um, promoted by excess body fat. And for most people, limiting their body fat is the prime objective, you know, more so than trying a, a telomere lengthening supplement, for example. I, I think the most profound thing I've picked up over the last 10 years in my, it actually occurred as in my interaction with uh, Dr. Chris Hardy when we wrote uh, the Strong Medicine book. Uh, Jim, you, uh, I had never really been uh, alert to the idea of inflammation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it was like a new idea, and it's like, oh, yeah, you were probably just alert. You're inflamed, right? We yeah. never thought we never thought in those terms, right? You're it, you were just alert uh, alert to the fact when your muscles were inflamed, right? Yeah, you know, you knew that soreness, you knew that swelling, all that, but internally, that's been Charlie, right? In the last. 10 years, yeah. maybe even shorter, and, people have started talking about 
how to reduce inflammation, how, what are the signs of inflammation, what food causes them, what, you know, what exercise yeah. could be detrimental. Yeah, and that's, that's all true. And the, the issue is, though, some inflammation is good, like acute inflammation is necessary for life. Right. It's also necessary for muscle growth. So you've got these two opposing views. Like, I don't, you guys know David Sinclair is the Harvard yes. anti-aging professor? Yes. So like, you know, he's all about activating the AMPK pathway, which is the mm -hmm. opposite of mTOR. So like the bodybuilders, the weightlifters are trying to activate mTOR to build muscle, which we know correlates with increased longevity. Whereas the anti-aging people are trying to, you know, calorie restrict, stay in a deficit, not build muscle to keep the AMPK. AMPK pathway going, um, which is going to you know, the opposite of mTOR basically to live longer. My concern with that is maybe they'll live to 120, but they won't have any muscle mass to get out of a chair. Yeah. And that's so what I was, there was that guy from UCLA years ago, Charlie, who did that 500 calorie day diet forever. And I was thinking, yeah, okay, but he's a pencil neck, right? And he's going to be so weak as he ages, you know? Right. So, so yeah, you, you, would you take five more years? You know, you got to ask yourself those kind of right. questions. And then, and then the question becomes, what can you do to reconcile those two so you can still enjoy increased longevity, but have the quality of life and the muscle mass that you need in order to be able to enjoy things when you're in your upper years? Good point. Well, yeah. you have to have function. How do you retain function? You have to strength train. You have to do right. cardio. Yeah. You have yeah. to pay attention to your nutrition. And if you get inflamed, you got to tighten something up. Right. So what and about supplements for inflammation, Charlie? So curcumin is huge. Um, okay. There are, um, and then there's other anti-aging. Could, like, could, um, could you say that again? What is it called? Curcumin. It's the active ingredient in turmeric. It's a potent anti-inflammatory. I get it to my dog. Body fat is so inflammatory that most of the people who come in who are worried about that, I'll say, listen, let's put inflammation aside for a minute you're going to die of something else before <laughs> inflammation with all that body fat you're carrying. Yeah. So if you're, you know, if someone comes in and they're six to 180 with an eight pack and say, okay, I want to decrease inflammation. Then we might talk about dietary changes, but someone who's 250 pounds at five foot six, I would say, I don't care if you have to eat donuts to get this body weight off. That's going to be more beneficial than trying to follow an anti-inflammatory diet, not being mm -hmm. able to stick with it and still being 250 pounds in a year. Right. Charlie, um, I want to clear up because I'm still not clear unless I missed it somehow. When we talk about inflammation, we're talking about the joints or we're talking about internal inf inflammation that we yes. can't so we're see. Gonna, so we're going to define inflammation as a low level of immune system activation that shouldn't be there. So like we have an inflammatory response when we get sick, like we have our white blood cells increase and it kills the virus we get or bacteria, whatever it is, we get fevers. Mm. That's an, an inflammatory response. When we break our muscles down with progressive overload, we're creating an inflammatory response. And those things are good. What yeah. the danger is, is when your body is reacting to something that's not there. So you've got this low level of immune system activation that shouldn't be there, which contributes to the aging process and to disease. Okay. And what would cause that? Um, Too much fat. Bo body fat, um, food intake, um, you know, somebody is allergic to certain things or intolerant of things, um, beer poor sleep, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. But again, body fat is a huge one. Well, speaking of body fat, can you talk to us a little bit about insulin and insulin control and the role of insulin? Yeah. So we know that insulin by itself is an inflammatory, um, 
marker. And the goal is to get somebody as insulin sensitive as possible, meaning that their pancreas needs to make as little insulin as necessary to get the blood sugar in a, in a good level. Um, it's helpful for longevity because the more insulin sensitive you are, the longer you're probably going to live. And insulin resistance is very closely correlated to chronic inflammation, um, which will kill you prematurely. And body fat. Yeah. I mean, the best way to get rid of insulin resistance is to build muscle and lose body fat. You know, which is basically the same stuff. So, you know, ultimately the end game is the same, whether, you know, however someone's approaching it, it's usually going to be lose body fat and build muscle. But the anti-aging people are going to say that building muscle is going to increase their, uh, is going to hasten the aging process and could give you cancer. I think, so, you I, know, think what they, I think what they miss, Charlie, is that strong people are resilient. I agree with that. And that's why I'm not following some horribly calorie restricted. And would he, anybody even want to? Like, what kind of life is that? Not lifting right. weight, not eating, not eating protein. I just don't see what kind of quality of life that would garner. Yeah. And we're, we're I'm uh, <clears throat> eating rib steaks and running wind sprints. Right. Yeah. That's the way to do yeah, it. Yeah, Marty, I think you're doing it right. I mean, you're you're regimented, you're, you're dialed in, but you're not, you know, you're not really wanting for anything. You have your alcohol once in a while, you have your steaks, you have your vegetables, <laughs> you're, you're, you're limber, you're mobile, you know, 71, no medications, nothing. This is what all of us do. Marty does this. I do this. All my friends who train do this. You get to a certain point, usually in the winter when the, and then it's coming in the spring where you go, all right, you're too heavy right now. Let's make some changes. Right. And, and, and that's the difference between somebody who has to, and I must not, I know you're doing a great job, Charlie, and people need to go to somebody, but you somebody who's been an athlete all their life. Somebody who's been lifting somebody who's, who's lost weight 20 different times in their life. It just becomes this, Oh, okay. Now we got to do this because I don't like the way I feel looks, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. yeah time to and you just have, you have people to come to you, Charlie, who don't have that kind of experience and they need your, your guidance. Right. Well, yeah, it helps keep the kids fed. Yeah, how much, <laughs> how much, um, I guess two questions. Number one, how much uh, has the obesity changed in just 10 years or, or has it? Um, and then when you have somebody come in and they're, they've dieted all their lives and they failed and failed, what do you tell them mentally or, or what do you tell them to bring up their confidence? Well, I tell them if I threw them in the Sahara desert with no food, they'd be really, really lean pretty quickly. Okay. So, you know, just showing them that it's possible is usually the first step. Yeah. And then just explain, you know, go through their past uh, efforts to lose weight and see where they went wrong, see where the breakdown was and make sure that you don't repeat those things. Right. And in the, in the time that you've had your practice, have people gotten fatter or, or are they pretty they much were, no I mean, in my experience no but it just might be the nature of my sample yeah um you know people will come in here mostly because they're overweight i'm still seeing you know most of the people who i treat want to lose weight right um but no i've not me, seen a giant a giant shift in the past yeah, 10 it's years. probably not long enough yeah let's spin i I, th I want to spin back to insulin for a minute so uh insulin control and carbohydrate which I mean, do you differentiate? I mean, now the fiber carbs does not have the stimulating effect on insulin that starch does, right? Right. So That's here's fine. my thought. Yeah, go ahead. If you're, go ahead. if you're insulin resistant, 
and you eat a moderate load of complex carbohydrates, you're still going to get an exaggerated insulin response. If you are super duper lean, uh, training regularly hard with the weights, even if you eat a giant boatload of sugar, your pancreas is going to be able to take care of it in a second. Mm, more efficient. You know, yeah. So having that insulin sensitivity really allows you to eat carbs if you want and not have to worry about the inflammatory response behind that, it. So that, also explains, so that also explains how when you can sit down with uh back in the day with victor richards and he could sit there and eat i don't know five thousand calories at a meal of just and, rice Martin. and be ripped <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's like yeah yeah so anyway i'm sorry go ahead so but but forget the the ripped people how about the normal people what's the strategy for insulin control so from a dietary and exercise, mostly dietary. It's more about achieving a calorie deficit rather than necessarily restricting carbohydrates. Um, if that's what somebody needs to, because again, there's a difference between the real world and an ideal world. In an ideal world, an insulin resistant person would be able to have a calorie restricted um, nutrition plan that is low in carbohydrates. But practically, people who get insulin resistant often really like sugar. And sometimes eliminating that is not the best way to approach a calorie restriction because they can't be consistent with it. Do um, you find right. do you find that there's people that come in who have no idea what's a, the right thing to eat or no idea yeah. about? No one, no one knows. Right? Isn't that crazy? So we, when you're so insulated like we are, you know, we think. I used to meet with the football players, and I'd be like. Uh, you know, so tell me your diet. And they're like, you know, telling me what they're having for breakfast with the cocoa puffs and all. And I'm like, you know, all that stuff's bad for you. Oh, really? I thought it was part of a complete breakfast. I'm like, well, Yeah. You well, know, you're always shocked. You're always shocked. You always assume that people know how to eat, but they really, really have some knowledge. And I find that like trying to cram those changes down their throat backfires hundred percent of the time. So what we find happens is people will organically start to shift their nutrition to more clean choices. Um, yeah. You know, I might tell them in the beginning, you're eating two quarter pounders with cheese. Let's go to one quarter pounder with cheese. But over time that will switch to a homemade burger, mm. you know, with more mm -hmm. lean meat or, or whatever it happens to be. Um, but, you know, allowing them to <clears throat> come around to a more nutritious way of eating in their own time frame um, is a lot more successful than trying to be on the first visit. All right. It's vegetables and lean protein all day. Yeah, and probably that kind of syncs up to, to the way that we talk to our people that we work with nutritionally is that initially <clears throat> just try to get uh, not uh, over time initially they'll reduce the food volume and that will get them a certain a certain amount of results but then at some point now it's time to turn the attention to cleaning up the content right mm -hmm. and often it happens because people are hungry they're like well i'm hungry and i said well yeah because you're eating potato chips and you're getting 200 calories in a handful let's eat right. broccoli instead you'll feel a lot more full you can still have the potato chips but you know, we're going to have to make sure that you have that volume so that you don't get so hungry that you end up overeating on things that you shouldn't be. And what happens is, and I know after, and you know this, Charlie, after bodybuilding shows, you've been eating so clean for so long. When you eat something that's bad for you, your body really reacts poorly. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, you'll get diarrhea or you'll get nauseous or you just feel like crap. And so in my experience of people I've, uh, you know, helped with diet a little bit, they get tired of feeling like crap. They know that, hey, if I have that bowl of pasta, 
before I, you know, uh, at lunch and then I have to work out later, I'm not going to have the energy and I'm going to feel like laying down, you know? Right. And so they say, well, what, what's something clean? What, what can burn fast? You start to get them thinking about it because they don't want to feel like crap. And right. you know, it, it's so, when you do these diets and, and all of us have done them, you realize that food is medicine, man. And, mm -hmm. and it, it, it makes you moody or not moody or tired or not tired. And it makes you clear or not clear as far as cognitive function. It really is, you know, the number one or the foundation of, of health is your food as, as medicine almost, you know. And, you know, most of us know that sugar is not good for us. But can you explain, Charlie, exactly what sugar does to the body? Because I think people just go through life. Well, I know that's not good for me, you know, down in the soda or whatever, or a six pack of soda a day. But what is it actually doing to our bodies? So my, my thought is it's really providing calories that don't satiate you. Yeah. So you're, and you do get, when you do eat a lot of sugar or high carbohydrate load by itself, you will get a massive insulin response, um, which then often causes hypoglycemia or low blood sugar because you overshoot, um, which makes people more hungry and more tired, which kind of perpetuates that cycle. However, if you eat sugar with protein and fat, you get a slowed uh, absorption um, through the gut or from the GI tract to the bloodstream. And oftentimes that's not bad. Um, but, you know, high sugar loads are going to cause most likely a, a rebound hypoglycemia, which causes more eating or feeling tired. Yeah. That's what it's doing um, at a simple level. What, what effect does it have on hormones? I think think that high sugar may decrease testosterone, but I have to fact check that. Yeah. Which, uh, which you know that body uh, fat. Let, let, me, let, let, me, let me just, just get in word here edgewise. What's your opinion on uh, intermittent fasting? Well, I think what most people do is not really intermittent fasting. So like a 12 to 8 check. eating window is simply not eating breakfast. That's not intermittent fasting. When we're talking oh. true intermittent fasting, you know, to get the health benefits, we're looking at extended fasts, so 24 hour fasts, 22 hour fasts, one meal per day. Um, right. And then, you know, so you get people who are eating a 12 to eight window when they're worried about whether the artificial sweetener in their coffee is going to spike their insulin level when it doesn't matter because they're not intermittent fasting anyway. Charlie, let me just jump in. I saw a uh, TED program with a lady who was laying out really well the uh, strategy, you know, the, the benefits of intermittent fasting. Till she got to her window, you know what her window was? What? Eight hours. <laughs> Dude, hey, Marty, you could do some, like, some like, damage. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm 72 years old. So I said, all right, so I'm going to get up at nine. I'm going to have a nice breakfast. I'm going to have lunch. And I'm going to go to the early bird special when I'm intermittent fasting. Yeah, at a sushi bar, yeah. Jim, that's an easy 20,000 calories in, oh, in eight, God, hours. eight hours. Eight hours, I can, I, I can take uh, a nap. Charlie, going. Charlie I, I, did a, I, did a, I was uh, the co-host for Ori Hoffmeckler. Uh, on a radio show we did for two years uh the warrior diet Ori was the was the, the first, first. Guy to, the first to, to and and his his intermittent fasting was exactly what you're talking about was one extended meal uh no four-hour windows none of that you just just but but he was very specific in how yeah. he wanted the meal to go a lot of uh strategy in terms of how the meal is consumed but again it's uh it's a let's talk pure intermittent fasting what do you think of that i think that there's a lot of a lot of health benefits from it um oh. for sure but yeah again it's hard for a lot of people to do the right way 
And if somebody, well, we're, not talk, we're not, not, we're not talking about a lot of people, but you're just in terms of the science. Of oh it, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that, that, that fasts are beneficial for you for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. you know, and probably won't impact muscle loss provided you are you know, on point with the rest of your plan. Right. Meaning as long so as I've, that been, I've, been, I've, been, I've been intermittent fasting for 15 years. And it, it as it's to me, as you get older, it's it's even more appropriate. The older you get, the the, the more appropriate strategy it seems to be. Yeah. And when you're in your your uh, writing, Marty, when you're in a very creative mood, if you stopped and ate, you know what I'm saying? It would just stop your momentum. You know, oh, yeah. uh, you're not as sharp. It could be a little a little protein and you'd be okay. Cause I mean, or used to say that, you know, when you're a protein shake's oh, not going to throw oh, you out. After, after after a workout, he he, you yeah. know, he was into his replenishment thing. I don't I don't really adhere to that too tightly. Yeah, but you know, a lot of people do. They love to have their replenishment, whatever meal or shake or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, also eat, eating less food volume as you get older. Um, if you don't, you're 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 headed for trouble. <laughs> Because you're going to lose your, your, your muscle mass is going to de decline. And if you don't get that body fat off you, at least at an equal pace, uh, you're in trouble because you have less power to maneuver your ectoskeleton around. And now you're carrying around a bigger payload, you're more inefficient. And all of a sudden, your concentric circles start getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you end up sitting in the rocker in front of the TV. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, that, that, that's, that's the death spiral and you have to fight against that. That's the whole, uh, neuroplasticity strategy mm -hmm. that we, we use. And Marty, we see that a lot with these athletes that retire, right? They're used to this certain lifestyle training, all that downing the calories, doing all that. Yeah. And they continue with that, even though yeah. they're getting older now, they've stopped their training or competing or, you know, oh my god an athlete man. out on the field or whatever I, I just saw a picture of the guys i played with in college they had a little reunion there was about 10 15 of them every one of them except one guy who i talk to all the time about training is 50 pounds heavier 100 pounds heavier than when we played yeah i mean it was just how old, amazing how old are you jim jim how i'm 54 54 my playing weight was 260 i'm 230 those yeah. guys I mean, the quarterback's playing weight was like 215. He's got to be 290. I mean, I'm, and I'm thinking, guys, you know, it, it, the common sense is when you're stopping so active, you can't eat so much, right? Mm -hmm. You can't do it. Yeah. It's, uh, it go, boys. yeah, not good. Well, that's what's, what Charlie's for. You go see him and uh, you get dialed in. Well, and it's also um, regionally, uh, people are more aware, like where I live in New Jersey, people are more aware of clean food or good, good eating food. When, when I lived down South, it was uh, country ham with biscuits for breakfast. We had chicken fried steak for lunch. You had, you know, there's a lot Stop of fried making food. Making me hungry, man. Stop. I know, Stop. Dude, chicken fried steak is so good, but no, it's no. just, you know, a lot of high caloric meals. So you better start working out. You better start doing some stuff, you know, if you're going to eat this. Yeah. Anyway, just an observation. Charlie, uh, a lot of your clients that come in, are they, are they filled with these uh, uh, misinformation 
that they're seeing on Instagram, on the, on the, you know, different websites on the internet and all that about diet, about training and all that. Do you find that uh, people are coming in with their own opinions and you have to work against that or people they're seeking you out. They must be receptive to the knowledge that you have and the experience and what you do. I mean, but how many people are resistant to that and want to fight about it or, Oh, I saw this on Instagram or whatever. Do you, you run into that much? Yeah, more than you would think, because you think someone who's coming in would be open-minded. But I have a, a, literally a significant number of people who come in and say, I know what to do already. I just need to do it. And I would say, <laughs> well, then just pay me and leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, all due respect, like you don't know what to do. That's why you're here. That's great, Charlie. That's great. Someone actually asked me for a discount once. He said, can you give me a discount? Because I already know what to do. <laughs> Dude, people are crazy. That's great. People and, are and really, it's, it's the what can be. A, I think the, the main problem with social media and the influencers are, are what they say can be accomplished versus yeah. what can actually be accomplished in a certain yeah. time frame. Like I'll have patients who lose six pounds over the course of a month while they're getting stronger, and they'll say, "This is really slow. Why is it going so slow?" I'm like, "Dude, yeah. you need to fix your 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 point of reference here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to get off of Instagram. Exactly. Uh, you know, well, that's I mean, all fake anyway. That's all filters and." BS anyway, half of it. Yeah. What's your What's your future plans, both uh, physically and psychologically? I mean, what, what are you going to do? Which what's, uh, um, what's up for Charlie I, here in the near future? Yeah, I mean, I need to. I want to get lean again. Right before uh, in 2017, right before I got something what, called what, what would be your strategy? What, when it's yeah, when yeah, you do just block it down and it's you pull the trigger. What I mean, you you do like 12 or 16 weeks. How does that work? I'm going to, I'm going to set my calories up so that I lose a pound of fat a week, which ends up being, I'm counting macros now. So like 190 grams of carbs, 230 grams of protein and 60 grams of fat, um, which puts me right about a 300 calorie deficit based on my resting metabolic rate test. What, what's the calorie total on that? Um, it's a, a little over 20, a little 2, over 2,000. 2,000. Yeah. That's interesting. So you set your protein higher than your carbs and your protein is over one gram per pound of body weight, right? Yeah, it is. Interesting. Um, it's, it's, how, it's how I've always done things. I find protein really satiating. So like, I, I, like you don't need that much protein. Right. You know, I think 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, you know, any more than that, you're not gonna get more muscle protein synthesis, but it does make you feel full. So it allows me to maintain a calorie deficit more consistently than if I was only eating 160 grams of protein per day. Right, right. Well, we we throw whey protein out the window. Yeah, right, JP. That's right. right. JP. That's right. So, what's your favorite protein source? Um, I like, I like buffalo bison. Cook mm. a lot of bison. I eat a lot of grass-fed red meat. I eat chicken. Um, not as much fish as I would normally eat. I just can't cook it right. I can never get it to taste right, even in the sous vide machine. How about your carbs? What's your, what's your um, I will eat anything. I will eat candy. I will eat sweet potatoes. I'll eat white potatoes. I'll eat white rice. As long as it's fitting in my numbers, um, I'm going to eat it. Okay, cool. That, and that's some good flexibility meant for, you know, uh, psychological flexibility. Well, it has there, to. Right? I, I, have a, I, have, I struggle with binge eating. So like whenever I try to restrict too much, it always backfires. Is that because you did those bodybuilding diets? Oh, it was way before that. Oh, 
No, that was, I've struggled with weight for most of my life in the binge eating. Right. If anything, I would say that the bodybuilding, maybe, um, I, I really followed a flexible approach for the last show. Like I pretty much, I did not eat clean at all, but got pretty lean. That picture that I sent you guys is from 2014, um, with no real meal prep. Like I was eating candy and beef jerky for most of it, just cause I was working 60 hours a week and didn't have time to meal prep. Yeah. You're ripped in that thing too. Yeah. Oh, yep. what kind of cardio are we going to? Do. um i walk i walk and i do talk, some moderate intensity on the talk bike to us about it. how far what do you where do you go to your neighborhood or yeah i generally i try to get 10 9, 10 000 steps is arbitrary it might not need to be that much but i try to get just ten thousand steps from non-exercise activity every day so just like walking mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. um you know walking to work walking back from work when i you know since i am carrying extra body fat i do a little bit extra cardio on top of the weight training that i do um, okay. but it's not a lot of high intensity stuff. Cause I know that's going to drive up my appetite and it's going to make me overeat. So you're just yeah. working up a sweat, uh, for 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay. And it's usually walking or, or yeah. walking okay. fast. Okay. And you're walking outside in Philly. So you have to be ready to run too. Without question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, like, okay. How about your weight training? Third world country now. <laughs> um, how about your weight training? What are we doing? We're doing four days per week full body every day, um, 10 to 20 sets per body part per week, distributed evenly work through three rep ranges. Now I'm in the four to six range, eight to 12 and 15 to 20. Well, um, wait a minute. You're, you're yeah, working yeah, each body down. part four days a week. Huh? Yeah. I'm training full body four days a week. How, uh, how long does that take per session? That... Say again. How long does it take to complete a session? 45 minutes. Oh, that's cool. And you're yeah, doing so I'm doing one per body part. Yeah, so it's a it's you're a ripping. it's a daily it's a, like a daily undulating periodization adapted for a bodybuilder. Like I'm working through all the rep ranges, different sets, different exercise, all through the course of a week. So well, walk us through a, walk us through a workout. You walk in. What do you do? What are we What are we doing here? All right, so I'll do decline dumbbell bench press. Um, okay, how many sets? It'll be either four sets. So for that one, it's four sets of eight to twelve. Or four okay, sets then, to one rep in reserve. Uh, now we're not supersetting or alternating, oh, just straight, straight sets. Straight sets. Now what? Resting 45 to 60 seconds between sets. Um, then I'll either do a horizontal pull or a vertical pull for back. Um, same thing. I, I may alternate sets. So if I'm doing yeah. four sets of eight to 12, I might do a set of back, set of chest, not supersetting, okay. going back and forth. Right. Then what? Um, and then usually I'll do either a hip hinge or a knee bend. So either a squat or a deadlift. I'll alternate them from workout to workout. And what kind of sets uh, and reps for those? Um, for squats, I generally try to keep the reps in like the three to five range just because I, like I like to have a heavier Ooh. squat. Um, I was never really strong in a squat. It's one thing I'm trying to get up. So that'll be maybe five or six sets of three to five reps. Okay. Um, again, to keep the rep range, to keep the total reps up in the setting of low rep sets. Um, and then a shoulder move, either a side raise or a dumbbell press, or even a standing barbell press. Okay. Um, and then if I'm doing a vertical pull, then I'll do some rear delt work. So maybe some rear delt flies or some inclined rear delt raises. Um, and then buys and tries. I don't train abs. Um, I never trained abs. I figure like the, uh, the heavy yeah, pressing, the deadlifting yeah, squats yeah. is going to take yeah. care of my core. Yeah, you don't have to defend that with us. We, we don't no, have you're, to yeah. do. How about uh, hamstrings or calves? Um, I pre-contest, I train calves. The only reason I don't train them more regularly is because I'm lazy. Mm. 
Um, they, Romanian deadlifts. Big. So generally through the course of the week, I'll try to cycle through a Romanian deadlift, a deficit deadlift, and a traditional deadlift. Well, that's a lot of damn work in 45 minutes. That's, that's, well, that's, and, and what, was your rest, what was your rest time again between sets? Between 45 and 60 seconds. Wow. That's but Charlie, the four, the four days, are you alternating? Like, okay, so you said on Mondays or whatever, the first day you do decline press. Now, the next time you, you will you do flat press or incline? Incline, we'll do a decline dumbbell press um, for like four sets of eight to 12. Then I'll do um, flies or fly machines for like three sets of 15 to 20. Then the next time I do a workout, it will be a machine chest press. So I'm still okay. getting between 10 and 20 sets per week. I'm just distributing it over four days rather than doing it yeah. over two days. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, so it's not, so it's not every workout you're doing 20 sets. It's yeah. So yeah, no, so I'm doing, you're going super light, right? between four and five sets per body part per day. Oh, so, but you have to be going super light. If you're going to squat one day and deadlift the next. Um, I, I actually got myself up to train pretty heavy on those. Um, which I know may not be the right. I know a lot of people say at 45, I shouldn't be doing that. Um, my squat was never high. Like I think my max squat was only like 245, whereas my max deadlift was 435. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm not training to failure. I'm, I'm, I'm one to two reps in reserve. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, just don't depends, I mean if, if you just use, let's just use somebody with a 700 pound squat, for example, and then they have a 700 pound deadlift. There's no way they're going to be doing. Oh no, they're not training. No, they're not training that way. No. Okay. So you're moving fast. You're, you're looking for some hypertrophy there. You're, you're getting some cardio. Yeah. Uh, benefit and then I'll do, sure. and then I'll, I'll, I'll go in through phases where I might be doing five sets of two deadlifts with three minutes rest in between. So there's some power yeah. stuff peppered in there, but for the, for, at least for the upper body and the isolation work for lower body, I'm moving pretty quickly. Yeah, that's good. Are you doing any sort of restorative techniques, uh, sauna, massage, in, anything in theory, outside? In theory, it's sauna, it's massage, it's um, cryotherapy. In practice, I don't have time for any of that shit. So I'm just working out. <laughs> and going home. Yeah, I hear you. But if you did, would you? What would you do? Yeah. Cryo and massage. Really? Okay. okay. I was listening to... Uh, Andrew Huberman, you familiar with him, Charlie? I'm not. Okay, he's a, a researcher out of uh, Stanford, and he was saying how the sauna is is so good and the heat is so great, and you can actually replicate the same kind of stuff with a hot, you know, extra hot bath, um, not a shower, but extra hot bath or sauna or steam or whatever. The, but I do take Epsom salts baths. I guess I should put. Oh, that there you go. Because he was time. saying that's just as good. As a sauna, you know, load it up with Epsom salts and right. turn it up. But it's not as fun as sitting in the sauna with the little yeah. like water that you put on and steams it over. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is cool. I've had uh, I've had an interesting uh, kind of late in life discovery where I've had if I go very first thing in the morning to my local facility, I have access to a really nice steam room, a really nice sauna, and a pool. So. I've been using, I, I, I do my weight training and then uh, hit the steam room, then hit the pool, then finish with the sauna. And I tell you, my next day soreness has just like disappeared. That's crazy. It really helps. Yeah, really has. And again, I, I was not anything I have done until just recently. Um, I think the pool thing is really, I don't know, it flushes or something about the, between the coolness of the water and the, the, the light movement of the body 
Yeah, and you're not it, pounding it, your joints. There's no joint pressure whatsoever. I never had soreness in my joints, but I predictably had next day, I could, I had targeted muscle soreness and also second day delayed onset soreness. Sure. But that, that all seems to have I found as a result of this. I found personally that the more frequently I train, I stop getting sore, even though I'm making, you know, I still make progress. My weights are still going up, but I'm not getting sore. Maybe you know, the frequency with which I'm training might be precluding the soreness, which I, yeah. allows me to train. Yeah, absolutely. You just get yeah, I believe that. If, yeah. If you go out chopping down a tree, your first day of doing that, you're going to be sore as hell. And then after a while, that ax is nothing. You got to go to a heavier ax for your massive form. Yeah. And if I could pull myself together to do a bunch of squats with 135 and the day I'm sore, I'm pretty sure I could flush it out too. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? But yeah. I just can't stand to look at a damn barbell after, you know, you know it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I want to ask right, Charlie, so is, is, good, man. yeah, is, is there any, um, you know, what's on the horizon for anti-aging and weight loss, anything cool that's going to be coming out or just came um, out or any de-boosting supplements. So nicotinamide, mononucleotide, nicotinamide riboside. Have you guys heard of that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that no, there's we... really promising <laughs> literature behind that. I think that's one of the ways I'm taking that. Um, it's one of the ways I'm trying to reconcile, like the trying to build maximum muscle mass, but also trying to get the anti-aging qualities. And what, 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 back up, back up. What are we talking about? What, say it again. What's the so These what are, are nicotinamide riboside, nicotinamide mononucleotide. They're supplements that increase oh, cellular okay. stores of NAD. Um, and we think that depletion of NAD over time um, is responsible for aging at a cellular level. So being able to boost NAD stores may have anti-aging properties at a cellular level. But the caveat is there's some data that says that NAD enhance make it promote cancer. Um, because of cells. And yeah. because nothing's clear, there's also evidence that NAD promotion can stop certain cancers. Um, so again, nothing's free here and everything's a risk benefit. But I, I find that supplement really promising. Um, there are a lot of really smart people who are proponents of it, um, which is what got me on it in the first place is Sinclair is a giant fan of it. Yeah. Um, it's funny because when I went, we went down to the tier one guys, this was probably six, seven years ago, they were taking it. They were yeah. taking an AD and they were like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. I started to hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's something uh, that just came out. What's the uh, thing that they were, they're actually able to lengthen the chromosomes by like 20% and kind of like repair the chromosomes. Yeah, so telomere lengthening is the other, is the other thing that's going on. That's really cool now. So we know that every time a cell divides um, the chromosomes get a little bit shorter mm -hmm. and that also is associated with aging. And there's a bunch of research under this being undergone now that shows that certain lifestyle interventions can uh, can lengthen telomeres or keep them from shortening. So the stuff that we talk about already, the exercise, um, eating diets that are high in vegetables and fruit. Um, but there's a treatment that they were experimenting with. It, it has to do with oxygen and a, what is it, a, bar a barometric chamber? Um, yeah, barometric oxygen chamber, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And that seems to be a combination that actually lengthens those chromosomes and they can reverse the aging by like 20 years, they said. Ooh. Yeah. But again, you got to have the muscle mass to support a quality of life through that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting that you said uh, they're finding different stuff about NAD, like it could promote cancer, maybe not and all that. And, but in the beginning, you said, you know, the testosterone supplementation, we know what it does and all that. It's been around forever. That's why right. these kids, I got kids that say, 
oh, I'm going to take this SARM and this pro hormone and this. I'm like, how long has that been out? A, you know, right. a month before the FDA or, you know, decides that it's bad for you. And then another one comes out, another one. I, mean, I, I see a lot of guys who come in and like, I want anti-aging. I want growth hormone. I want testosterone. I'm thinking, well, first of all, growth hormone, one of the side effects could be cancer. Right. And anytime there's a side effect of cancer and it's going to make your organs grow, um, you know, there's a downside to that. And it costs a thousand dollars a month versus testosterone, where we really know what the side effects are. We know what to look out for. It's been around forever. And the risk benefit profile generally favors doing that first. Right. Right. Interesting. Interesting. You, 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 Do just, it? you, you answered my next question, which I was going to ask you about. Remember uh, a few years back, the, the rage was all the anti-aging growth hormone clinics down in Mexico. Right. And people were paying, people were flocking or oh, rich people were flocking down there and paying tens of thousands of dollars. And now you don't seem to hear about that stuff. I don't, I don't know. And my experience with stuff. growth hormone is it's super expensive and it makes everything grow. So people get arthritis, they get, you know, potentially insulin resistant. Now there's people who are going to disagree with that and say that growth hormone is the fountain of youth. I disagree with that. And practically $1,000 a month for a drug that the government says you can't use off label um, just doesn't make sense to me to use for the vast majority of people, unless what, there's a true adult growth hormone deficiency, which is really rare. What about precursors for like a testosterone, you know, to boost your own or, or growth hormone, like an MK677? Um, so the growth hormone releasing peptides definitely increase growth hormone. But again, I'm concerned with the side effects and, yeah, and yeah. the relative, um, you know, how new they are relatively. Yeah. yeah. Like, like yeah. you said, we don't know what's going to happen in five years. It's going to turn out that all like the growth hormone releasing peptides cause cancer. Like we don't know. So what you're saying is take a shot of sipping and do some squats and go for a walk. And you're good. To basically, go. basically what I'm saying. <laughs> Are there, are there, what supplements do you have experience with that actually work? No BS. Cause we've all taken the, you know, we've all been ripped off by supplements that don't do anything and throw money down the drain. What do you like? What works? So ashwagandha, um, to lower cortisol, um, decrease anxiety and stress, improve power output and increase testosterone. Um, I like magnesium. Most people walk around magnesium deficient and also people could use quality of sleep. So I use magnesium glycinate because the glycine molecule helps improve sleep. Um, I'm using nicotinamide riboside now. Um, it's called basis by Elysium. I'm also using a second basis product or second Elysium product, which is nicotinamide mononucleotide. They both boost NAD, but in different ways. Um, I use is there a specific brand that, that is yeah, so I like, I like, I like Elysium. E-L-Y-S-I-U-M. Okay. For those. Um, I take a super greens and reds powder. I take superfood by Biotest. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good green reds products out there. I just know I could eat more vegetables and that helps, you know, fill in some of the gaps in my nutrition. Yeah. Do you take creatine? Do you take like a, I, a whey protein? Right. So I don't take creatine because I, I've been taking medicine for male pattern baldness for the past 20 years. And I know the creatine can make your hair fall out as a side effect. So no. Really? Oh, Jim, yeah. that's what happened to us. Now <laughs> we know. We um, solved it. But creatine is a really, I, I do like creatine. And yeah, cognitively. Cool. I'm a big fan. Yeah, they're using it for CTE now too. Mm -hmm. I never got much out of creatine because from what I understand, your, your muscles can already have a, a high creatine content 
And so, so if you do, you're not going to get much out of it. Is that right? For the cognitive aspects of it now, too. Oh, I haven't heard that. Yeah. 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 Which would lead I'm us not... to ask. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no I was going to say uh, that sounds like uh, MCT. You may may do some MCT oil too, medium chain triglycerides um, for cognitive and and also uh, energy and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's promise there. I don't do it because I need to eat my fat again to stay in yeah. the calorie deficit that I need, just from a consistency standpoint. Right. Um, I also think when you're in a calorie deficit, the nutrient timing may be more important. If you're not in a calorie deficit, I don't think it's necessary to drink a post-workout protein shake. Um, but I think that if you are in a calorie deficit, it probably makes sense to do a blended protein post-workout. Mm -hmm. I also use essential amino acids. Like we know as we get older, our, the mTOR pathway loses its sensitivity to leucine. So you need more of it to turn on that pathway. So um, my essential amino acids in theory will do that. Again, there's some conflicting research, but I think it's a good idea. If for no other reason, then the BCAs will decrease delayed onset muscle soreness. Okay. And what would you say is the best kind of protein to consume post-workout? Is it something that's easily absorbed like a whey protein? Yes, I, like, I like blended protein. So micellar casein and whey isolate or hydrolyzed whey. Okay. Um, because that'll just absorb the quickest, right? You'll yeah, so assimilate that faster. The way you'll be absorbed quickly, the casein a little mm -hmm. bit longer. What it does is it negates the need to eat a meal, you know, within an hour or two after working out when you've got the casein in there, it's going to turn on muscle protein synthesis a lot longer than just the whey. Mm -hmm. But we do know there's a lot of good research that says whey post-workout can help augment muscle protein synthesis. So I think it makes sense to do a blended protein. Okay. I'm going to start doing that. Uh, and fish oil for, for uh, one of your supplements or no, Charlie? Um, yeah, so I do 2,000 milligrams of EPA and 1,000 milligrams of DHA. I just read a study yeah. that correlated high intakes of fish oil with atrial fibrillation. So again, got to be used with caution. But yeah. we do know that that ratio, those high doses of EPA, DHA will also um, will complement muscle protein synthesis turned on by leucine. Mm. Oh, that's good. That's interesting. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. And you get the, the anti-inflammatory, cardioprotective, and brain benefits of the uh, EPA DHA. Yeah, but Jim, we were just talking about vitamin D a few weeks ago. What about vitamin D? A lot of people. Oh, I'm sorry. I take. Yeah, I take 2,000 units of vitamin D every day. Okay. My best level was I think 47 when I checked it. Um, okay. Vitamin D is huge, and most people are deficient. I check everyone as a matter of course for vitamin D when they come into the office. And I'd say 90% of the people out there who are not supplementing are deficient. Well, when you're, when, when you're low on that, I mean, what happens? You get depressed? Depression, um, de it probably an increased risk of diabetes, low testosterone. There's a million reasons. Low, low bone density, decreased calcium absorption. Like there's wow. a million reasons to take vitamin D and not a whole lot of reasons not to take it. Wow. <clears throat> no downsides. Yeah. Wow. You really got to keep your body dialed in. It's so easy to just fall behind and start falling apart if you're not careful. In America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what else, guys? I mean, that's a lot. We covered a lot yeah, of stuff. Was, There's great information. Sure in that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, all right. So, Charlie, you are in philadelphia and your website if anybody wants to go on there and go check it out it's very extensive you've got a lot of great information on there i highly recommend it go to drseltzerweightloss.com and that's d-r-s-e-l-t-z-e-r 
weightloss.com. Um, and then you, you're doing online stuff. You're doing in office visits, right? You're doing it all. We do. Yeah. We do virtual. Um, we do virtual as well as in office for sure. And you're doing virtual training as well too. I saw. Yeah. So our trainer does, does work with a lot of people virtually. Okay. Yes, so we we're trainer and staff. Are um, you working with a lot of people outside of your area, like all over the country? Um, most of the people that I'm doing are, are within the geographical area are coming into the office, but I do like, okay. I do do coaching for people out of state. Um, you know, in, in general, people like that, I won't order labs on them. I will give them the lab sheet that they would have their primary care doctor run. And that's because of licensing issues from state to state. Oh, uh, okay. All right. But I definitely coach people outside of the, the state for sure. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Hopefully we got to have you back from- on. We'll talk about some more, some different stuff too, man yeah we're always looking for the latest stuff and recovery and um diet and all that it's great i really appreciate you guys having me on yeah no this has been great like like i you know i've got a bunch of sheets here i got probably 500 more questions so we're gonna have to have you on (laughs) yeah i would love to come back yeah yeah. there's a never-ending uh series of what series of let me finish jp if you don't mind there's a never-ending series of questions and topics that we have that we like to bring a guy like you on because you give us the reality check, right? Mm-hmm. It's like there's so many muscle myths out there, and it's it's just good to get some some science, either verification or yeah. you know just, just that's yeah that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, and again, you're either a scientist or a fundamentalist. And if you're a scientist, you, you, you absorb new information, you take it into account. And like a good musician, you'll steal a good lick, right? But if you're a fundamentalist, you reject any new ideas, anything that uh, goes up against your orthodoxy. So again, you know, we I heard some things today that it's like, you know what, that's, that is excellent. So we really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you guys having me. And I would recommend, I checked out your Instagram page too. So you can check out at Dr. Seltzer Weight Loss. And you've got a lot of uh, informative little video shorts on there and all kinds of things. So I recommend that too. Are you doing any seminars or anything? Um, Looking to do it. Apparently no one wants to hear me talk though. Well, they will after today. You got to get your name. Yeah. 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 No, I mean any you know any any platform that I could get to you know put out some good information that's going to help people you know I'll, I'll jump on. Mm-hmm. Well, this helps because we're number one in Luxembourg, Charlie. I'm not yes, sure. Luxembourg, sure. yeah. So you may be getting some online clients from Luxembourg. We're very popular uh, there. You know, yeah. Very Highest popular. income, smartest people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're very Where confused about it, like us. <laughs> All right. You can, you can also check out Marty's weekly column, Raw with Marty Gallagher at ironcompany.com. You can find his latest article, Cardio Training Periodization. Uh, it's chock full of great information about uh, cardio training. Got a full program on there, 10-week program and all that. Um, you can also check him out on Instagram at the Marty Gallagher. And his website as well that he he uh, does alongside his, his wife Stacy. Well, let's be honest, she does most of it. It's uh, functional-strength.org. All kinds of good articles, food stuff on there. Hey, and can you just uh, let me jump in one second. Yep. Uh, I got back 
uh, this past weekend from a three-day seminar with uh, Ed Cohn and Ray Williams. Yeah. Uh, so we got a lot. Of, yeah, don't spoil it. That's going to be an episode, Marty. Yeah, we're going to get Ed on. He's he's in a good headspace, and you know we we really reconnected. We spent basically three days together. Uh, Ray Williams is incredible. I, I'm a little out of the current powerlifting scene, but uh, yeah. this guy Ross squats 1100 and deadlifts 900. And um, Jim, he's a was a D1 football player. He didn't start lift, uh, powerlifting until he was 26. Yeah, he's, he's 36 deep, now, right? Deep too. So uh, yeah, we're, it's going to be a, a treasure trove uh, work. We'll have Marty, get him on too. On. Oh Let's yeah, that, yeah. We were, it's all it's all taken care of. Plus, works. we're going to get the master chief back on in a couple of weeks, I believe. That's going to be good. Hendo's coming on. Look out! Um, since 1997, Iron Company has been your one-stop shop for gym equipment and flooring solutions, including free weights, strength equipment, cardio equipment, gym flooring, and whatever else you need. Uh, we do commercial. Do a lot of government. We love working with our our U.S. government all over the world. Um, and new uh, Jim Steele articles. Well, this one's getting a little stale, but for anybody that hasn't checked this out, <laughs> go to go to Iron Company, go to uh, Jim Steele. Dead you have my new article for life. Just, you expect it? me to be Picasso and, and with, or uh, who Ansel <laughs> Adams with these photographs? When you fling these at photographs, me, dude, from you, you got to give me everything. Guy on the internet, and I got to come up with. These photos, did you have any of you at this weight and that weight and th doing this? And I'm not almighty. That's the business, brother. Come on. Just not to be the artist, Marty. <laughs> well, you Either you're, you're all in or you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to get, get put another picture of Bednarski up there. And we'll be <laughs> yeah. All right. So check that out. And then, uh, Jim, your website is bossbarbell.com, B A S barbell.com for training motivation programs hijinks hunting guns uh you know anything right, right? that's right american it's stuff. a potpourri that's right all american all right. all right guys thank you very much charlie charlie thanks buddy. Nice. Uh, appreciate we'll it man. Back on again too. absolutely